Good morning. Yeah, my name's Tim. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Church. Um, forgive me this morning, my voice is sort of in and out, so we'll see how we go. But um, we are going to be continuing our, our Father series through Matthew 6 and 7. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 6 this morning. If you've got a Bible with you and want to find it, that'll probably help you. Uh, but the words will be on the screens on either side of me. Just before we get into that, um, imagine or perhaps remember or when you were a child, and imagine you've... You've done something wrong, and it's obvious that you've done something wrong. Perhaps you were playing with a ball and you've broken a window. Perhaps you were running around the house and you've, you've knocked a pot over or something and it's smashed on the floor. And it's, it, it's really obvious because you can see the broken thing that w- what you've done is wrong. And um, you're starting to wonder what's going to happen when your parents see when they come in and they find out. What kind of reaction are you going to get? And you're beginning to sort of feel that feeling inside, probably perhaps of guilt, and and also a sense that you need to make it right. You sort of, it's almost like, you probably wouldn't put it like this, but it's almost like you you owe something. You've done something wrong, you kind of owe something. And and you're desperate to, or beginning to be desperate to think, "How how can I fix this? Hold that feeling in mind. Um, we're going to look together at Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to be reading from verse 11. So I'm cutting into the middle of something called the Lord's Prayer that might be familiar to some of you. Duncan talked about the first half of it last week. Um, and then some of Jesus' comments at the end of that. So this is Jesus talking. He's kind of showing people how to pray. He says, verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. That's where we're going to focus today. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay. So Jesus says, forgive us our debts. That's how we're to pray. He uses this word debt to talk about what we'd often call sin, things that that God hates, things that um, offend him, things that go against his law. And debt can seem like a slightly odd word for us to use for that, because most of the time I don't think of things I do wrong as being things that put me in debt. Like Think about, again, that child, they've broken the pot. My my first response is probably guilt, rather than, oh my word, I owe a debt, I need to do something with this, perhaps I need to... I don't know, pay for a new one or whatever. I'm kids that only know how much stuff costs, so it's probably not going to work very well. But some sort of sense that you owe something. In Jesus' culture, it would be much more common that the child instant thought would have been, I owe my father a debt. So it's almost like, I guess there's a, there's a kind of image of as though God has a, like an account book and you, you owe something. And then if it's forgiven... Well, it would be, like, I suppose, like having that released or having it wiped clean. Or think of it this way. I suppose the, the debts that many of us might have, perhaps if you own a house, you probably own it by having a mortgage, which means someone has lent you a very large amount of money and you are paying probably quite a large amount of money back every month. If suddenly that disappeared, it would make quite a difference to your life. Or if you... Um, perhaps you, I don't know, you've got a car on... on um, Finance, or you've got TV or a washing machine or something on finance, or you've, you've had to use a loan company because you can't quite make ends meet. If 
that payment that you're paying suddenly disappeared, it would make a difference to you. It would be like your debt is gone. And we can think of forgiveness like that, and you read something like this, and that's my first thought as well. You think, okay, forgiveness, it's like having our debts wiped clean. Well, kinder. Except, so the bit I didn't read, um, which Duncan took us through last week, the start of the prayer, it'll be known to many of you, doesn't quite start in the mode to make us think that way. It's not our bank in heaven. It's not our wonga in heaven. It's not, it doesn't, doesn't start like that. It says, our Father in heaven, forgive us our debts. So for all debt makes us think of those images, it's a bit more familial than that. It is like having that, that broken pot that you've knocked over and wondering what your dad's reaction is going to be and wondering how he's going to handle that. And then the way that God reacts, he comes in, our father comes in, and he forgives us. Now that, particularly if you've been around church a while, that sounds like the right answer. It sounds also kind of easy. And I think it's very easy to get the wrong idea about what that means. For me at least, when I hear, oh, he forgives me, that sounds a lot to me. Like he's come in and he's gone, oh, don't worry, Tim, it's okay. <coughs> that's not what he said. Because saying it's okay, that's, that's what I say, because a kid would be upset. You know, you'd imagine that would be the kind of reaction I probably would have. Oh, it's okay, because you just want to stop them from crying. But it's not okay, is it? We've broken a pot. It's clearly smashed on the floor. It's not okay. Or to think about what the analogy stands for, I have done or thought or said something which I shouldn't have done. Or I've not done or thought or said something which I should have done. Or I've hoped in something that I shouldn't have done. Or I've not hoped in something that I should have done. Or I've refused to believe what God is telling me about myself or about my situations. That's what my broken pot is. So it's not okay because it's broken, because it's wrong. Or, depending on, I suppose, on what, what your relationship with your parents is like, you might think the dad comes in and he reacts in pure anger and aggression. And there's a sense of you know it's wrong, but there's no love to it. And again, that's, that's not how our father reacts. Or perhaps... Hmm, yeah, okay, perhaps it's like you feel like you need to work it off. I think my dad's reaction when I did stuff like that, I was quite a clumsy kid, when I did stuff like that would be, in some sense, to tell me, to try and teach me the value of things, that I needed to pay for it. Now, what he do, I realise now, is, so it might cost, you know, an amount, whatever the thing is, and he would massively lower the amount it cost in order to actually make it feasible for me as a child to be able to pay for the thing that I'd broken. So he'd lower the bar for me. But then to try and teach me something as I kind of paid it back. Now, for all I know when I say it, that the idea somehow that I need to pay back for things that I've done wrong is, is obviously nonsense with God, I actually often find that I react in the way I just described my dad might have done. So what I do is I think when God forgives me, what he does is he lowers the bar. So it's not like it disappears. 
but like the amount that I have to pay back vastly reduces, because this is impossible, but he puts it to something manageable and then sort of says, okay, so you, know, you follow me, you live Christian life, you believe the right things, you try and do the right things, you try your best, and then that, that kind of is the way that you work it off. That sounds silly when I say it, but that is often what's going on in my heart. I don't know, you might be the same. That's not forgiveness either. Or even, I think it can sound like this, it can sound like I let you off. Like you're off the hook. Like I've done something wrong and it's just disappeared. Which can be what it feels like, but it's not like that. Because God didn't actually, or hasn't, just let us off the hook. He's had to do something in order to allow us to be forgiven. He's had to, to come himself. The Father has sent his Son to die in our place on the cross. Because in order to forgive us, something was required. So he died a torturous death on our behalf. So it's not that we get let off. Something's had to happen. But what actually happens, when I, do, when I break my pot, it's the father comes in and he embraces me. And he says, yeah, Tim, it's wrong. And I forgive you. It's wrong and I forgive you, recognizes, acknowledges that the thing that we've done is wrong, and then says, I'll deal with it. It's the idea isn't brilliant, but it'd be a bit like if my dad said, okay, actually it costs this much, it's completely impossible for you to pay it back, is all the money. It's not quite like that, because I don't even have to do it, he just sort of sorts it out for me. Our father, when we do things wrong, comes in, hugs us, and says, yeah, it's wrong, and I forgive you. Wow. That first sentence I read, give us this day our daily bread. Now, we're not, I'm not going to get into that today. It'll come up later in the series at the end of um, chapter 6, the same idea. But something to notice, this is a daily prayer. So it doesn't just go for that line, the next line, and forgive us our debts. Also, a daily thing. We, um, we break windows, we smash pots, we think, do, and say things that we should and don't think, do, and say things that we should. Sorry, think, do, and say things we shouldn't and don't think, do, and say things that we should every single day. And we need to ask for forgiveness for them. And every single time, our Father responds by already being there, embracing us, and saying, yeah, I forgive you. It was wrong, I forgive you. And then we do it again. It was wrong, and I forgive you. And again, it was wrong, and I forgive you. Over and over and over again. It was wrong, and I forgive you. However many pots we break, however many, it's almost like he's hugging us, and we spit in his face, and he keeps going, yeah, that was wrong, and I forgive you. <laughs> we, need, we need forgiveness every single day, and yet it is offered freely to us every single time. I doubt I could manage to list everything this morning that I've done that Jesus needs to forgive me for because I'm not aware enough of my own heart. But there will be a long list of things I've thought, things I've said, perhaps things I've done. And every single time he comes to me and says, Tim, that was wrong, and I forgive you. And if you you don't know that forgiveness for yourself. You're not following Jesus. You're not aware of his 
disposition towards you, his forgiveness for you, then, um, like Duncan and Rosie were talking about earlier, the find out more area by, uh, by this red banner over here be a great place for you to go at the end. You can talk to someone. They can help you figure out what the next step for you might be, perhaps answer some questions. Perhaps if you want to, you could meet him right there and find yourself completely forgiven from everything you've done wrong. Now, some of you might be thinking, particularly if you've got your Bible open, Tim, that's great, and it sounds right, but um, it's, uh, it's not what you actually read out. And you'd be right. Let's have a look again. Um, verse 14, if you, could, uh, if you could find it for me. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses. It's a bit awkward. I've just said that it's offered freely, that we don't have to do anything, that every single time the father comes and he forgives us. Should we just keep it up? I think that'd be helpful. Um, Every single time he comes and he forgives us, and yet that seems to be saying something a bit different. Looks a lot like a condition. Like you have to forgive people in order for the Father to forgive you. You see, Jesus has this funny habit, I don't know if you read the Gospels, of um, saying things that seem really, really strong and seem to be way further than we'd go. And making statements like this that you read and you think, really? Because if that's true, I'm stuffed. I don't, you can, I'm speaking for myself there. You can decide whether or not that would also be true for you. But if that's true, I, I, think I'm, I think I've got an issue. Or at least if that's the only thing that's true. So maybe that's not the only thing that's true. So elsewhere in the Bible, it makes it clear that our forgiveness is not a condition of God's forgiveness for us. So our forgiveness of others is not a condition of God's forgiveness for us. Um, for example, Ephesians chapter 2 uh, says that our, our salvation, so, which includes our forgiveness, is a gift from God, not something that comes from works, and not something that comes from things that we do. So it can't be that it's a gift. So it comes from God to us, not based on anything I've done. So it can't be that I have to forgive others in order to receive the gift. Um, in Romans chapter 3, it says that... Uh, it, that this is a righteousness, so a kind of status before God that we get because we've been forgiven, a righteousness that is revealed from God. So again, it's from God. It's not because of something that I've done. It's from God. Um, the next chapter, Romans chapter 4, talks quite a lot about how our, our status, our salvation, our forgiveness is not wages that we earn, but something that comes to us because of what we believe. So it's not something that we earn. It's not kind of, I do something and then I get forgiveness. It's not that I forgive others and then I get forgiveness. Or in fact, the next chapter even talks about how it's our faith in, so Romans 5 talks about how it's our faith in Christ and what he did on the cross. That is the way that we receive forgiveness. So if all those things are true, what does this mean? That's a good question. Because it can't quite mean what I first think it means, which is, that I have to forgive others as a condition in order to receive forgiveness myself. 
So the context can help us a little bit. We're in the middle of something called the Sermon on the Mount, which means it's a talk that Jesus did on the side of a mountain, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, um, where what Jesus does is he paints a picture of what, I suppose, the good life looks like. He paints a picture of what human flourishing looks like, of what it looks like to really be a human. What does it look like? Not just to be a good person, but to truly be human. What does it look like? And he paints that picture by describing it. And that's kind of what we're going to go through. We're going through the second half of it over this, uh, over this term. But he's describing what that life looks like. Now, his hearers would have heard stuff like this and gone, I can't do that. I don't know how to get there. And they wouldn't have been wrong. Because I hear something like this and I think, I can't do that. I don't know how to get there. And Jesus' point, he's painting a picture of what human life could and should look like. The way that we get there is through the cross and then his ascension. Rick was talking about earlier before it all went a bit whappy. Um, through the cross and Jesus' ascension, he then pours out the spirit, which is what we were receiving and enjoying. And the spirit is not only, though it is, there to give us wonderful experiences, but there to change us in our hearts. And he changes us slowly so that we become more like what true humans look like. There's only one person who is truly human in this sense, and that's Jesus. And yet we're all on the journey, if we're following him, towards becoming more like that. So what he's doing here is he's describing what that human life looks like. Which I think is kind of helpful. So what he's saying is, this is available in Christ, and the forgiven forgive. The Father forgives, and the forgiven forgive. And it's that way around. As we receive forgiveness, we'll find that we become able to forgive others. And yet, that, we shouldn't take away the challenge from Jesus' statement that actually this is then what the lives of those who are forgiven are supposed to look like. So why? How does that work? The forgiven forgive. Well, when our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the ways that others have wronged us, seem like small, petty things. So to put it another way, when I get how big my sin is, when I get how much I've offended God, when I get that what I do every day is I crawl into the arms of my father and then I spit in his face. And he says, I forgive you and I love you. And then I spit in his face. And he says, I forgive you and I love you. And then I spit in his face and over and over and over again, when we get that, when we start to understand something of what we've done and how what we've done required Jesus to be tortured and die on our behalf, you actually start to get a little bit of perspective about the things that others have done to us, which isn't to say that many of us will not have been wounded very much by other people, but it is to say that by comparison, it's a bit less. And if we've been forgiven much, perhaps we can manage to forgive those who've hurt us. Because you see, sin is enormous. You can kind of think, oh, it's only a pot. Now, I've smashed a pot. It's only a pot. I mean, it's, it's an issue. Obviously, the thing's broken, but is it really that big a thing? 
And that's where the analogy probably breaks down a little bit. Because when we offend God, we're kind of a little bit more like, rather than running around the house and knocking a pot over, I've burnt the house down. And then when, when my dad comes home, I've punched him in the face. It's, it's more on that kind of... I mean, it's probably a lot worse than that, actually. But it's more on that sort of level. It's serious stuff. When I think things that are not true about God, which I do regularly, I am rebelling against him. I am spitting in my father's face. And you might think, so the father forgives and then the forgiven forgive. You might think, but Tim, you don't know what they've done. The people that have wronged me. And you're right, I don't. Obviously, I don't. And I'm sure for some people here, actually, they've been hurt by others in very serious ways. And I would not want to minimize that. And yet, revenge is not a Christian virtue. You might not think of it as revenge, but when we, when we want to get justice for something, when we refuse to let go, that's really what we're hoping for. We're, um, we're not in a Liam Neeson movie, I suppose, um, running around trying to sort everyone out using our specialist skills. Um, when, we, when we hold on to things rather than forgiving people, what we're doing is we're making ourselves out to be God because the day of judgment is God's alone. He's the one who gets to decide who deserves what. Um, it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Beloved, this is addressing Christians, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Which is not often how I think of God, actually. But yet it's what he says about himself. He says that he is the one who will decide who needs justice, and then he's going to enact it. And what he says in his word is that actually, rightfully, he could enact vengeance against all of us, except he's made a way so that some people can be forgiven through the cross. And when we hold on to things rather than forgiving others, we are putting ourselves in God's place. Christians are supposed to let go of our hurts. That's really hard. And we could be trite and go, great, supposed to forgive, off you go, forgive people. That's really very, very difficult. How do you do that? How do you actually do that? How do you forgive someone? Well, a helpful place to start is if you, um, if you see your sin. If you're honest with yourself about what you've done before God. And then if you look at the cross and you realize what he's done for you in order to forgive you, and then through the cross you see the Father who forgives So your sin to the cross, the Father who forgives, realize that you have been forgiven much. And then you make a choice. I found that really helpful when someone helped me see that. I I used to think that forgiveness, I kind of had to work up an emotion. And I had to want it. I had to kind of feel it. I had to feel like I'd forgiven someone before I could. It's the other way around. You have to forgive someone before you can feel like you have. You have to make a choice. You have to say, I choose to forgive them. Despite the way I feel inside, I am going to willingly and generously depart from my just claim against them. I choose to forgive. Before you feel it, you know, your pot's been broken, but you choose to forgive the one who broke it. And 
It's not a one-time thing, actually. You have to go back to it again and again. Um, In Matthew chapter 18, Peter, one of Jesus' friends, asked him, how many times should I forgive someone else? And Peter thought the answer was probably something like, I don't know, two, three, four times? Because that's quite generous. If someone wrongs me, I forgive them. Well, obviously, okay, well, that's, that's nice. They wrong me again, I forgive them again. I'm being generous now. They do it again, I forgive them again. They do it again, I forgive them again. I'm being incredibly generous. That's probably the Christian way to do it. And because Peter wants to sound super pious, he says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone else? Seven times, thinking he's kind of doubling it. (laughs) I think I often react like that. You think, ah, that's the right answer. So we'll just go in there and sound really good. Um, And Jesus looks at him and he says, no, Peter, not seven times, 77 times. And Peter's mouth hits the floor. And that doesn't mean that you need to count. (laughs) So, well, that's your 76th one. You're on thin ice. Um, Because I imagine most marriages would be over very quickly if that was the case. Um, From from all parties. He's just, he's trying to be, he's been deliberately over the top. He's like, like seven times what you said. but it's 11 times, isn't it? Anyway. um, (laughs) And then he tells a story of this this rich man who has a servant who owes him an enormous sum of money, and the rich man forgives the servant. He says, you don't need to pay me that back. And the servant goes skipping out, finds his friend who owes him a very small amount of money, and you think, oh, I know where this is going. This is great. And then has his friend beaten because his friend can't pay him back. And then the rich man finds out and he has his servant tortured. Which is one of those moments when you think, Jesus, I was with you, and then you go and say something a little bit extreme, which he does a lot. Jesus' point, the servant's forgiven a huge amount, so how hard can it be to forgive the things that people owe him? And it's the same with us. We owe the Father, we owe God a huge amount, and he's forgiven all of it. How hard can it be for us to choose to forgive others? Well, the answer is very hard. (laughs) But yeah, we should. And with the Spirit's help, we can. So what are you you angry about? Who do you really need to forgive? The Spirit will now be moving, has already been moving among us with joy. He will also be reminding people of people that perhaps they need to forgive. Because when we hold on to stuff, we become bitter, and being bitter is like drinking poison and hoping that your enemy dies. It um, doesn't really work. You don't do anything but wound yourself and knot yourself up. Let go. Now, look, that's so easy for me to say, and many of you will be struggling with the idea. You might already know who it is. You'll be struggling with the idea that you need to do it. It's okay to take some time and work through that. But you do need to forgive. Why? Because the Father forgives us. Everything I have ever done wrong, forgiven. Not recognized as that, not kind of treated as though it wasn't wrong anymore, but forgiven by the God who rules the universe and is my dad and loves me, freely forgiven. And then I go and do it all over again, and he forgives me again. And he always will. Wow. Wow. When I'm forgiven, I can act differently. The Father forgives, and then the forgiven forgive. Look, the band are going to come.
And in a moment or two, I think Ben's going to talk to us, and in a moment or two, we will worship God. And we'll look to this God who has forgiven us. Because he has done so much for us. He has taken everything away in his person on the cross on our behalf. What a dad that he would send his son to do that for us. Wow.